0: Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. So, what do you think about wolves? uh, I'm going to do a message here on false teachers, and part of the whole picture of false teachers is wolves. What do we mean by that? What do false teachers do? Attacks from without, attacks from within. And threats to the church. Last week we looked at false doctrine and obviously false teachers teach false doctrine. Uh, But let's look at a little bit more closely what a wolf is. What it means to actually be a wolf. Now you may look at this and kind of get the picture of pups. And I I like wolves personally. Uh, I think they're pretty amazing animals. Maybe that's my ignorance. Because I've never been out in the wild in the midst of a winter storm, right? And I've never had wolves come after me. They can be pretty vicious. They usually hunt in packs. There's an alpha male that'll come after uh, the prey. And usually what's interesting, if you have studied much about wolves, and I haven't studied a whole lot, I just like watching the Yellowstone pictures of them, right? Right? But usually what will happen is the pack will attack and at the last moment, the alpha male comes in and finishes off the prey. And I think it's amazing because you really see in Scripture some of these patterns. We may think of uh, uh, wolf pups and all that kind of stuff as pretty cute, and they are. I've actually handled wolf pups. They're amazing. Uh, You remember watching the one movie, and I I can't think of the... The name of it, A Call to the Wild or whatever it was. And the main wolf that was used to film that movie, friends of ours in Tennessee had one of the offspring from that wolf. They owned wolves. And so I couldn't believe how big they are. They're huge. I mean, they're they're far larger than German shepherds. I mean, they are just big animals. But to watch them, to watch them run... To watch the pups as they kind of play, and man, it's, they're beautiful. But in the context of the church, what we've got to understand is that wolves are discussed or brought out as being very dangerous to the health of the body of believers. False teaching is very dangerous to the body of believers. And so I want to take a little bit of time and walk through that. Why are uh, wolves or false teachers so dangerous? Who are they? What's their motive? Where do they come from? What are we told to do about them? And how can we guard against them? Because that's something we need to do as shepherds. Tim, this is pertinent. And in fact, some of the uh, passages of Scripture that Pastor Mike, you brought, are directly in my sermon. And, and I, I couldn't have planned that better. I, I do believe there is a God. And I believe that he orchestrates things. Amen. And so it's amazing to be able to ordain somebody on a day that you're talking about how essential the teaching of the Word of God is and not just teaching about the Word of God but actually teaching the Word of God for what it is, the Word of God. And so when we look at this, one thing that I think we really need to understand and really get our minds wrapped around, all false doctrine, all false teaching is a direct attack against the grace of Christ, against the gospel of grace. There's no other way to put it. You, you look at any false teaching, and it's going to either add to grace or it's going in one way, shape, or form to diminish grace. It's going to put the wrong emphasis on things. It will lead to legalism, which leads to all kinds of issues. We're going to look at this. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, uh, the Lord states it this way because there's different terms here, and and I just want to take some time to look at that, but there's different terms. He says, behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. Here he's talking about the world. He's talking about the disciples being sent out as witnesses into the world, and he Gives the analogy of sheep being placed in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Be wise, understand what you're getting into, understand what it is that you're facing, but be gentle about it. And obviously in the midst of the context of the New Testament is trust the Lord in it. God's before you. He undergirds you. He's in you. He will strengthen you. So no matter where you are, no matter what God has sent you into, understand that the Lord has already gone before and already knows the way. He is the way, and as a result, He'll give you the grace in order to walk in the very thing that He's called you into. But here, He's simply speaking to the issue of how, as believers, we are sent into the world as disciples with a testimony, and we are sent as though we are sheep, into the midst of wolves. In Luke chapter 10, verse 3, he reiterates this. He says, go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, in, <laughs> in our world, in our understanding of things, if you put a, a group of lambs in the midst of a pack of wolves, ah, that's not going to look too pretty, is it? But in Christ's economy... We are strong when we are weak. When we're depending on the Lord, that's when God's strength is revealed in and through us. And so he's saying, go out as simply what you are in Christ and trust the Lord in the midst of these things. So that's one way that the term wolf is used in the New Testament. What are the origins of false teaching? It's always interesting to me. Uh, when we talk about wolves, we talk about false teachers. There's where where does this stuff come from? In First Timothy chapter four verse one, Paul, in writing to Timothy, says the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. Listen, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines, teachings of demons. Where does false teaching come from? If it's an attack on God's grace, if it's an attack on the gospel of God's grace, it's certainly not from the Lord. We know from Paul that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we wrestle against the demonic principalities. We know that false teaching originates with Satan and his demons. It's very clear from Scripture that that's the case. It's twisted, it's a lie, it's not from God. In James chapter 3, James, in speaking of the behavior of of believers, he says, Who among you is wise, in verse 13 and following, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. And then he, and he makes sure that this is understood. This wisdom, what, what wisdom? This idea that you can, in some way, claim to be a believer and then walk as if you're a mere man. Walk as an unbeliever. Walk in your own jealousy and selfish ambition. This wisdom is not that which comes Down from above. But it's earthly, it's natural, and what? It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. Wow. See, if there's false teaching and then there's false belief and then there's false activity, it's an attack on God's grace. It's an attack on the walk of a believer to be dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk in such a way as to bring glory to God because God is transforming the believer into his own image, revealing his love through that believer. And in the midst of it, when we're not walking with the Lord appropriately by faith, by trusting in him, standing in the grace in which we've been called, then we have our own motives at stake And bitter and jealousy and division and factions and every evil thing begins to take place. How essential is the teaching of the Word of God? Correctly. Not just the promotion of it, not just the focus on the commands, but rather the focus on Christ in the midst of life so that we understand not only what the commands are, but perhaps even maybe more importantly, that Christ lives in us in order to accomplish those commands. False teaching is an attack on grace. Folks, don't, don't miss that. There's no question about that. All false teaching will introduce works in some fashion. There will be works attached when it comes to false teaching. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 3. And I'm not going to take the time to read it. But he, you can look it up. He says we don't put confidence in the flesh. We walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. We do not walk in confidence of our ability. We know what our ability is. And as believers we're learning more and more. We grow, we grow more and more in that don't we? We recognize How incapable we really are. Paul says, we're not adequate for these things. Who's adequate for these things? Our adequacy does not come from experience or training. It doesn't come from seminary. It doesn't come from our works. It comes from yielding to the Lord Jesus Christ. And our adequacy comes from God. And Tim, I would encourage you, don't ever forget that. Because there will be attacks. You know, there's going to be days where you think, what in the world did I get into? And that's why calling is so important, folks, because you got to go back to what God has said in your life and you trust the Lord to accomplish what he's called you into, period. If you start looking around and you start looking at other people and you start looking for affirmation and you start looking for those other things, I can guarantee you Satan's going to use that in order to attack you, in order to take you down. Because the truth of the matter is, is our confidence is in God. It is not in ourselves. False teaching will always place the confidence in ourselves. Always. All false teaching leads to the activity or the deeds of the flesh. You can look at Galatians on this one. But there's all kinds of different ways. There's divisions. There's factions. There's a dependence upon the flesh, our ability. There's a lack of faith. I need to figure this out. We call faith what we can figure out. And, folks, that's not faith. Faith is being persuaded that God is able in spite of what we can understand, what we can figure out. There's all kinds of different deeds of the flesh that come out of legalism, immorality, outbursts of anger, etc. Everything that is contrary to the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. See, we get to walk with God, and and God in us begins to transform us. He takes the Word of God, and He begins to teach us, and we're convicted by the Holy Spirit in our lives of activities that are wrong, and then we begin to realize that they're wrong because there was a wrong belief system in place, and God begins to adjust what we believe. And He begins to grow us and, and in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. We begin to experience and learn what is really from God and what's really of my flesh. And true teaching will always point to the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace, his ability. It will always encourage the believer to walk by faith in spite of what we can understand, in spite of what we can measure and look at and touch and feel and say, this is whatever, you can fill in the blank. There's two kinds of false teachers and and both of them have the same foundation. False doctrine. Both are threats to the church. One is more from the outside in, and the other is from the inside. Now, the outside, the wolves, can come into a body and kind of make their own little nest, their own little home, and so they can, they can cause disruptions within the body. But they're not believers. And then you have what we would call errorists those who would speak perverse things, those from within the body who actually get off track and they begin to use the word of God for their own benefit. They begin to use the word of God in ways that God never intended. So they can harm the body because they begin to teach the body, not just with words but with their own lives, something that is false, something that is not true, something that's not according to God's grace. They teach the body to rely upon self rather than on Christ. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30, and this was read. I'm going to read it again because this is so essential. Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, and he tells them this. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not those cute little cuddly pups. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That idea of not sparing the flock is literally creating slaughter. That's what wolves do. And from among your own selves, he switches and he puts the focus on these elders themselves. From your own selves, from amongst you, men will arise speaking perverse Things to draw away the disciples after them. Catch that. Why do they do it? Because they try to get their own group. Their own group. They try to cull out those who would be willing to listen. What do wolves do? Do wolves go and attack a whole herd of elk? And and they just randomly pick which? No, what do they look for? They look for the weak ones. They look for the ones that aren't able to make it. They begin to run those things down, and they run and run and run and run, and then they begin to spot, oh, that one over there is weak. And so then they shift their attention, and they go after the weak. I've watched this so many times I can't even tell you. People are hurting in church. People are down. They go through circumstances of life that literally threaten their belief systems, and they're they're doing everything they can to cling to that which they know is true. And all of a sudden, bam, somebody comes alongside and begins to whisper things into their ears that is not true. And as a result, they attack at their weakest point. I want to tell you something. At that moment, man, I wish the sword was real and wasn't just the word of God in the sense of, you know, physically. <laughs> Rip that thing out and let's go, folks. Right? Right? Get my staff. Maybe that should be better. (laughs) Because you watch people go through this, and you know the end. You know the end. You know it's not going to turn out good. You start believing a lie. You start believing in something that's not true. And I can guarantee you it will have an impact in your life in a detrimental way. It will not get better. The Bible knowledge commentary says this. These verses, and he's speaking of Acts chapter twenty. These verses explain the need for the command to elders to guard themselves in the flock. False teachers called savage wolves would enter the flock or even some of their own would distort the truth. I like what uh, the critical commentary says on this one. Two classes of coming enemies are here announced, the one more external to themselves, the other bred in the bosom of their own community. Both were to be teachers, but the one, grievous wolves, not sparing, that is, making a prey of the flock. The other, simply sectarian perverters of the truth with the view of drawing a party after them. Oh, I want to tell you something. I could get on a soapbox on this. I cannot overstate this. The Word of God is essential in this. It's God's grace and it's his wisdom and it's his truth that ultimately defends all of us in this because all of us would fall for the lies if left to ourselves. That's why we've got to be in the Word of God. That's why we need to make sure that we're walking closely with the Lord, that we're in tune with Him, that we're yielded to Him. That's why prayer unceasing is essential for the believer because it is the recognition that we are absolutely dependent upon Him and there's not one moment that we're not dependent upon Him. Folks, there are so many lies that are besetting the church today. It is indescribable. And we see attacks coming from without. We see attacks coming from within. We've got to be on guard. And we must be yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer, locked arm in arm together, in order to help one another stand in the midst of this onslaught from the world. It is essential that that takes place for the body of believers. So let's look at wolves. Let's look at errorists. And I kind of combine them into the same kind of picture. Because doctrinally, doctrinally, we understand the wolves are coming out in. They're not believers. Errorists are those within who are distorting the church. Both have wrong doctrine. Matthew 7, 15, the Lord Puts it this way, he says, "Beware of the false prophets." And obviously, he's speaking of Israel because the prophets were the ones who were to be teaching the word of God. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Wow. Oh, it sounds so good, but it destroys. It kills. In Second Peter chapter two, one, it's interesting because. Now we have the church age, and we move from Israel into the church age, and so the Lord speaking about false prophets, Peter takes that idea and transitions it into the church age. In 2 Peter 2.1, he says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. You see it? He talks about what used to be, and now what's going to happen. In other words, there's nothing new under the sun, folks. What do they do? They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. What's interesting here is that here he's saying the Lord Jesus Christ has provided salvation for all. But these individuals are not believers. They refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation in Christ And as a result, they are not believers, but they are a threat to the body of Christ, to the body of believers. Because what do they do? They secretly introduce destructive heresies, even to the point of denying that salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ. Boy, we see that everywhere today. What are their motives? Why do people do this? In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, we got this motive of greed, covetousness. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Wow. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Does the Lord know? Is he sovereign over it? Absolutely. Does he allow it? Yes, he does. And does he already have victory in the midst of it? Yes, he does. Do we need to be alert, on guard? Yes, we do. Greed. i tell you the truth. I, I wish maybe someday I'll do this. How many different emails I get as the senior pastor of this church from ministries all over this country, promising me that if I just follow their system and pay them to come here, that they will radically transform this church. It's indescribable. I mean, there's days where I I just want to take the computer and chunk it, and I won't do it because it's an apple and I like apples. But it's remarkable. Now, not all of them are bad. Not all of them are even wrong. And I'm not saying programs are bad. But let's follow God in it to make sure that we're doing what God wants. Not just using our own thinking in order to accomplish God's purposes. It's by faith. It's not by sight. We don't put confidence in the flesh. We put confidence in Christ. I trust the Lord to take the word of God and to impact each and everyone here for his glory and for his honor. To grow you, to deepen you. I trust the Lord to lead you in serving. I trust the Lord to lead you in your giving. I trust the Lord to convict you, to admonish you, to encourage you, to comfort you. Because it is through the word of God that God shepherds his people. I trust the Lord to do that, folks. And I think it's essential that we make sure we don't get the cart before the horse. First Timothy chapter one, verses two through seven, Paul in writing to Timothy, he talks about those who want to be teachers even though they don't have any understanding of what they're teaching. So the motive here is that they would somehow wanna be a teacher and yet they don't have any clue about what they're saying. I was at a guarding moment (laughs) how many of you have had the opportunity of having a whole pile of curriculum handed to you because there was nobody to teach a particular grade in the children's ministry come on right isn't that what we do it's the funniest I mean it's not funny but it is funny right all of a sudden we go, Oh my goodness, we got 20 kindergartners, and by glory, the, the teacher had to move, and so we need a new teacher. And so we get the kind of the the, the committee together and everybody goes, Well, this person would be great. This person be they got young kids, they'd be good. This person's very successful, so come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Right? We grab everybody and then we go to the person and we just put the guilt on. Oh, they're so cute. Oh, we've got to be and we go on and on about it. And they finally, out of duress, say, Yeah, I'll do it. We'll train you. Sure, okay, great. And we hand curriculum off. They go into the class. We say, have a great time. Shut the door and out we go. And there they are. (laughs) How many of you have gone through that? If you say you haven't, you're lying like a dog. Because we're we're Baptists and that's what we do. (laughs) The truth is we need to guard who the teachers are. Even... For the little ones, maybe even more so, because they're impressionable. They soak it in like a sponge. And if we're not careful to teach them the truth of the gospel of God's grace and the sufficiency of Christ and what true faith is all about, what's the end of that? In Galatians 2.4, false teachers bring bondage to believers, Paul writes it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. What kind of bondage is he talking about? He's talking about legalism. And folks, if you're going to walk according to the law, then you've placed yourself back up under the tutor, the very thing that pointed you to Christ and the need of Christ in the first place. And as a result, you're not going to experience God's love, you're not going to experience the fruit of the Spirit. And all the different facets of it, you're not going to experience God. You're going to become dry. You're going to become exactly what your flesh will dictate. Because the truth of the matter is, if we are placing ourselves back up under law, then we have, in effect, taking something onto ourselves that the Lord Jesus Christ knows we cannot take on, that only he can, that he's come to live within us in order to accomplish through us. Legalism. And in Acts twenty thirty, just as a reminder why they draw away the disciples after them. Warren Wiersbe says this, There are also dangers among us because people within the church who are ambitious for position and power ambitious for position and power. What's the motive here? It's not only, hey, I want to be a teacher perhaps in that particular context or I want a particular role of leadership because of what it does for me, the badge that I get to wear now. Whatever the motives may be, Ultimately, it comes into a self identity crisis because we have forgotten that it's not the role, it's not the title that makes us who we are. It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us at the cross. My identity is rooted and grounded in Christ, period. And as a result, we can follow him, walk with him. Each and every one of us have been bought with the precious blood of Christ himself. We are beloved of God. And as a result, we can walk with him in freedom. Whatever he has for us is a joy. We don't have to go looking for something else in order to try to affirm ourselves or to present a false picture to everybody else. What's the outcome of teaching, of false teaching? Well, in Galatians 2.4, he says it brings us into bondage. And in Galatians 4.17, this is interesting. He says, they eagerly seek you, not commendably. Who is he talking about? The false teachers. They seek you out, not in a commendable way. Not for your benefit. Not for our benefit. But why? They wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. Wow. What do false teachers do? They come in when you're weak. They come alongside of you. They whisper some good things to you, but not necessarily godly things. They twist the word of God. Perhaps they're wolves from the outside. You've gotten frustrated, distracted, and as a result, you're susceptible to the lies of Satan from outside the church coming in, and you begin to walk in a way that is not according to Christ. And what's interesting is these people These false teachers, these wolves do so because they want them, they want themselves to be at the very center. They want to be the center of attention. And people will begin to seek after them rather than Christ. Phenomenal. Again, quoting from Wearsby, these false teachers do not understand the content or the purpose of God's law. They were leading believers out of the liberty of grace into the bondage of legalism, a tragedy that still occurs today. Now listen to this, because this is essential. The flesh, our old nature, which by the way, we still have. I wish we didn't. When is our old nature going to be completely gotten rid of? When we see Jesus face to face. Amen. We still struggle. If you struggled with certain things before you became a believer, understand you're going to struggle with those things when you are a believer. But the difference is is that Christ in us is able to strengthen us in the midst of that struggle. And we learn to die to self, yield to him, and experience the power of God to overcome us, overcome our sin. And we begin to walk in the victory that has already been won at Calvary. Praise God. He says, the flesh, our old nature, loves religious legalism because rules and regulations enable a person to appear holy without really having to change his heart. Ooh. Well, we could fill in a lot of blanks on that, couldn't we? We're all good at it, folks. We really are. What we need is the Lord in order to convict us and to challenge us to help correct wrong beliefs that somehow would set themselves up against the knowledge of God himself and what it means to be a believer, but also what it means for a believer to walk with God. False teaching will lead to false beliefs, which will always lead to false righteousness or activity. People can be doing things. We can go out on the Tuesday night visitation. We can come to K groups on Sunday morning. We can attend worship. We can be in the choir. We can serve as an elder, as a pastor. You you fill in the blank. And we can do it with a wrong understanding, for false reasons, because of false beliefs. And even though it may look good, the reality of it is, it does not meet the standard of God's righteousness. Do you realize that when Christ comes to live within us, he is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. We've seen this all through this country, haven't we? I mean, we could go through the list, and I I won't. There's so many different examples of this. One recent one that's grievous to me is Andy Stanley. I don't know if you've heard some of the things that he has said of late, but I—that dear brother—is getting off track. He's saying the word of God is not inerrant. The word of God's not the central thing for the believer. On and on and on. Folks, that's a perversion of the truth. There's no question about that. But we're watching this take place in this nation all over. Folks, we need to wake up. We need to recognize the times. We need to understand we are in the end times. We need to understand how essential the teaching of the word of God is and the word of God is to each and every one of us in order to keep us on track with the Lord. John 10 verses 12 through 13 gives us an indicator of True shepherds, and again, Tim, I would refer this to you because this, this, is the, this is the moment, right? When all of a sudden the wolves attack, what do what the ones who are just hired out do? <laughs> out the door. See ya, see ya. I didn't mean you. See ya. <laughs> right? Isn't that what happens? What do true shepherds do? They lay their lives down for the sheep. They lay their lives down. The Lord is the supreme example of that. In Ephesians 4, what are we told? We are not to be children. We are not to be tossed about by every wave and carried about by every wind of doctrine or teaching. By the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. What are we to do? We are to speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Wow. See, true teaching, the word of God, will produce correct thinking, which will then produce not only correct activity, but the right motives for that activity. And it will teach to walk with God by faith, persuaded that the Lord is able. And so as pastors, that's, that's what we're to do. As elders, that's what we're to do. Tim, that's what your calling is, to, to guard the flock, right? to guard the flock, to watch over the flock. And how do we do that? We make sure right doctrine is being taught first and foremost. And it's not just the technicality of the doctrine. It is the emphasis of the doctrine. If somebody in this body begins to teach that the virgin birth is wrong. Now that's pretty easy, isn't it? I would think. I mean, we if somebody began to teach that. Say I got up on a on a Sunday morning and I began to tell you that the virgin birth just isn't true. Man, I think y'all would like I don't know what you would do and I don't want to find out. Sometimes it's It's easier to spot false doctrine. The most difficult false doctrine to spot is where it's just a little bit off. Just a little bit off. And all of a sudden we begin to use biblical commands, biblical principles to establish our activity. But we've taken it out of the wrong We're out of the right context into a wrong context. And instead of depending upon the Lord and the Spirit of God in us to transform us, to renew our minds, to lead us, to guide us, to empower us, to do all that he's commanded us to do, we become dependent upon ourselves to accomplish the commands. And folks, that's where it gets very difficult. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way, and again, he's just tremendous... On this particular topic in particular. He says one reason Christian workers must stay on the job. Is that false teachers are busy trying to capture Christians. I think my son's been going through that. He's been texting with a friend who's Mormon. They've done everything they can. In order to try to win him over to a viewpoint. That is absolutely unbiblical and false. And I'm proud of him. Because he goes to the Word and he says, Wait a minute, you're saying this, but what does the Word of God say? Where did you get this idea from? What book was that? (laughs) You believe that book is inerrant and you believe the Bible is inerrant? Well, then how come the Bible and that book don't measure up? One of them must be wrong and it's not the Bible. Good job, Jonathan. That's the point. trying to capture Christians. There were teachers of false doctrines in Paul's day, just as there are today, and we must take them seriously. These false teachers have no good news for lost sinners. They seek instead to lead Christians astray and capture them for their causes, their causes. One other thought on this, and I think this is for us as believers because this is an interesting one, and again, this is a bit tricky. And I trust Christ in you to make it clear to you, to reveal to you not only the truth of it, but also the application in your own life with regard to this. The greatest New Testament commentary makes a great statement about Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25, where Paul is speaking of the flesh and the war against the spirit. They say this, for the believer who is walking in fellowship with God, focusing on the commandments is detrimental. As Paul shows in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25, the focus of the righteous person is to be on Christ, the one who delivers from penal servitude to sin. Now catch that. It's one thing to admit and to know the commandments. My goodness, shouldn't we know that? We ought to know to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. We ought to know to love one another. Those are not options, folks. Those are commands. We ought to know make disciples. No question. But who is it that accomplishes that within us? Do we accomplish that for God, or has God done something at the cross in order to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from our inability? Because apart from Christ, we can do everything. No, no, no. Apart from Christ, we cannot do what? One thing. In Christ, we can do all things. Why? Is it because suddenly we woke up and we put the Superman shirt on, the super Christian man shirt, and said, look at us. No, it's because of Christ in us who begins to transform us and change us. Our reliance, our focus is on the Lord because he's able. Folks, that's grace. That's grace. That's living grace. That is walking grace. I don't care what you want to call it, empowering grace. That is Christ himself in us who's able to accomplish something that he knows that apart from him, we could never do. On our own. Where are you this morning? What's God doing in your life? What are you thinking? What are you, what are you living? How is your activity revealing what you actually believe? What's your focus on? Is it on the circumstances? Is it on even trying to fulfill these commands? And boy, are you sincere about it, but you, you feel like you're constantly hitting a brick wall. I mean, I, we could go through that over and over again. There's so many examples of that. But is You trust in the Lord. I love what Paul tells the Corinthian believers. He says, I fear for you that Satan should deceive you from the simplicity which is in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a beautiful thing. Sometimes we get caught up in all the doctrine and amen. I love that. I hope you do too. But the truth of the matter is it really comes down to one very beautiful truth. And that is believing. Believing. In the Lord Jesus Christ, not only for unbelievers to become believers, but for believers to walk as children of God. Where are you at this morning? What's God doing in your life? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours